Hello and welcome to 90s Lessons from the Frontline podcast. If you're not familiar with 90, we specialize in insurance innovation, that is taking new insurance ideas to market in 60 days and building best practice innovation capabilities for insurers in 12 months. Um, the industry recently voted as consultancy of the year for the, the second time in a row, which we're very proud of um, in our work as well. We get to work with insurers like Allianz, AXA, Travelers, Aetna and Swiss Re across the US, UK and Europe. And what we're doing in this podcast series, as you'll know, as you've been listening to some of the previous episodes, is just to let you hear from some of our um, insurance innovation consultants and practitioners, and just to ask them to share their experiences at the front line of insurance innovation projects at 90. So welcome, I'm Dan Webster. I'm an innovation consultant at 90. And today we've got a bit of a special episode where we'll be talking through the Idea Pulse 2021. Um, where if you've been um, on the 90 newsletter and, and websites and events recently, you'll know was launched a couple of weeks ago. So today I'm joined here by Dan White, managing partner at 90, and we'll be talking about this topic of the Idea Pulse 2021. So welcome, Dan. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. No problem. So I'm looking forward to getting into this uh, conversation. So I think a good place to start here would be just for those who don't know, would you mind giving an introduction to yourself and then perhaps um, what your work has been on the Idea Pulse 2021? Of course. So Dan White, Managing Partner at 90. Um, my role here really is looking after a couple of things. First is our US HQ'd clients, people like Travelers and Cigna and Aetna, uh, Liberty Mutual and so on. Um, and, and the second is um, with significant support from my team and notably um, Eva Clibon dyer um, leading on our research practice. And so the, the idea pulse that we'll be talking about today is something that I've sponsored within the business and have had a, a meaningful contribution to, um, though that, uh, that there's been a significant number of people actually pulling this body of work together. Brilliant. So before we get into some of the deep content of it, um, I know there's quite a, there's a, a fun origin story behind the idea pulse right then. I wonder <laughs> if you could give us a, a sense of the story there, where this came from. Yeah, well, listen, we're, we're, not, we're, we're not a research company, right? We're not uh, trying to be a research company. This is a piece of research, but it's, um, it, it emanates from, if you like, a, an, an innate curiosity within us as a team at 90 about what are the ideas in insurance today? Um, and the, the origin story behind this piece of, of work really was uh, one of our consultants coming back from some ideation workshop and commenting that there are only five insurance, only five ideas in insurance today. Um, and, and this comment really was uh, triggered by them having been part of multiple ideation sessions across health and life and commercial PNC and reinsurance and so on. And ultimately seeing that you boiled most ideas down into, into five broad things. And um, so that started us on this, this, this journey of exploration around, uh, is that true? Uh, are there just five fundamental ideas in insurance today? And uh, what would we find if we were to look at the global insurance sector, look at the ideas that are coming from it and do some analysis on that? So that's the background here. Absolutely. And it's quite a provocative statement that really, but there is only five 
um, ideas live in insurance innovation today and quite a dismal one as well perhaps. Um, I seem to remember some of those five ideas being around, I think product bundling was one, value added risk mitigation services, on off personalized risk and I mean I'm sure some of our listeners here could guess some of the remaining ones. Um, hot topics, often things that may be on the, the conference circuits and um, on, on people's lips a lot of the time. Um, so it's, this is a good starting point. And as this study progressed, what were some of the sources, Dan, and, and people that were drawn upon in order to start to give an answer to this question? Sure. So the, the study, the work that we do in terms of data capture is um, some of it's desk-based. Uh, and it is uh, trawling the, the press releases, trawling the, the corporate websites, trawling our network within insurance innovation around the world, um, focusing on 250 large carriers and reinsurers and a handful of the big brokers, um, which means that we're, because we're, we're, we're skewing for size, um, we're not looking at insurtechs here, we're looking at, at the big corporates. Um, and that gives us a regional bias towards North America, Europe, and Asia. And so that's where, the, the, if you like, the, the concentration of ideas that we're examining is coming from. Um, and over the course of the last 12 months, we have, um, we have monitored the ideas coming out of those 250 insurance businesses. And we have uh, categorized them, added a bunch of metadata around them as a really cool uh, data assets that comes with this idea pulse um, tool and for this year's report there are um, I think it's uh, about 600 ideas uh, held within that um, which are fully categorizable by uh, by line of business by region by type of technology by um, partnership uh, model by by type of innovation. So for instance, an operations innovation versus a distribution innovation versus a brand or product innovation and so on. Um, so a very powerful um, data asset behind this. Um, the, there, there are two, so this is the second year we've run this, Dan, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the total data set is now over a thousand uh, ideas, but we're focusing this report obviously on the last 12 months. And uh, this last 12 months has obviously seen a, a very significant disruption to the world and mm -hmm. to the insurance sector in the form of COVID-19. And so there's a significant portion of that data set, something in the region of 160 ideas that originate specifically because of COVID-19, as a response to COVID-19. And so we've, if you like, we've tracked those and analyzed those separately to provide a viewpoint on how has the global insurance sector responded innovatively to the pandemic? Um, so that's, that's that, if you like, a secondary element to the data set. And then the, the, uh, the final pieces of this jigsaw, Dan, are uh, number one, we, we're also a little bit skeptical of the press release uh, yes. and the publicity, right? So we, we justifiably go back to our own workbench where we've got several hundred ideas working through for, for a number of different insurers at any one time. And treating this completely confidentially, obviously, we use that as a bit of a truth serum to interpret and analyze and, if you like, just, just apply a little bit of sensible scrutiny to the, the public domain stuff. Um, so that, uh, that happens there. And then the, the final element is that we have a set of conversations, interviews, if you like, with 
a series of um, uh, of chief, particularly chief innovation officers from around the sector, to capture their perspective on um, on what's been going on, what they see as having been important, uh, and the motivations that they're seeing in their own business. Um, so that, if you like, that's the, the qualitative um, element of this that uh, sits alongside the quantitative element, which is where a lot of the man hours go. It's good. And there's a lot of things there that you just mentioned that I'd like to dig into in separate parts of this conversation today. I, I think a first one that I'd like to go into is you mentioned at the beginning there that this um, breakdown of different levels of analysis using this data allows us to um, answer questions such as how do different um, lines of business innovate differently? How do different regions innovate differently? Are there any unexplored areas of opportunity? What are some of the main themes? And then what are the uses? Mm. Um, I know that from the Idea Pools 2020 and in this year's study as well, some of the main sections here are looking at some of the, the groupings and trends that we find. So the classic sections, right, are the 10 big ideas in insurance innovation this year, mm -hmm. as well as some cold spots. So some areas that um, for whatever reason, be it a, a legitimate reason or not, don't have so much activity going on within them. And then finally one um, regarding big bets. So areas that we've seen um, kind of subtly growing under the water and expect to be um, one of the big bets for the next year. So thinking of those three sections, Dan, I, I wonder if you could just give us some of your um, personal um, highlights or reflections for some of the, the, the topics that came out of each of those three areas. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a, a whole bunch of different places we could take this, right? Um, but, but yeah, as you say, the, the, the Idea Pulse uh, report is designed not just as some kind of uh, interesting bedtime reading, uh, it's designed as a tool for folk involved in insurance innovation to use to plan their portfolios of work and to prioritize things that are going to give them some kind of unfair advantage against uh, competitors in the market. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, in terms of the, the 10 big ideas, uh, so the, the, the 10 big ideas for, for your listeners are, uh, these are the, um, I mentioned earlier, we, uh, we had this kind of notion about five ideas in insurance. Um, it turns out actually we can widen that a little bit. And, and when we look at a much larger data set, we can see that there are a recurring set of, um, of ideas that are very similar in nature. And so um, each year we publish a 10 big ideas uh, list. Um, and if I just may, maybe mention a couple of those from this last year's data set, um, one of those 10 big ideas is CAT risk management, catastrophe um, risk management. And this is a big idea that is centered around enhancing prediction, detection, and early response to CAT risks, both natural risks and man-made risks. And um, now some of your listeners will be thinking, well, hang on, this is what uh, uh, insurance has been doing forever. And, and yes, it is. But I think what we see in the data set and from the, the qualitative conversations that we have and when we look at our own workbench, what, what seems to be happening is that the risk determination models based on historical data around CAT events just haven't kept up. The world is changing faster than that actual actuarial data set can um, uh, can stay in touch with. And so um, issues around uh, climate change continue to be uh, meaningful, uh, weather cat events are impacted by that, cyber 
um, is still an, you know, lots of work going on in cyber over the last couple of years, but still um, a long way to go. I think the, the thing that's um, been most prominent this year in, in that cat space and you know, kind of black swan events is obviously a pandemic. Um, we didn't see that coming. The insurance industry wasn't ready for it. And in many ways, actually, and sadly, um, has probably come out not looking particularly great, particularly from a, a business interruption perspective. Um, and so some of the ideas that have come out this year are particularly around data partnerships. Um, some of this is driven through the InsurTech world, some of it is, is from adjacent worlds. But if I give you a couple of examples, a business called Metabiota, who um, do epidemic data analytics. And in particular, they have, an, and this is going to be a slightly bastardized description of, of what they do, Dan, so forgive me, but um, they, they have what I would describe as a, a pathogen sentiment index, which measures the effect of fear, public fear across a population, um, the effect of that fear on a drop in consumption at retail level, um, which is clearly a, a key determinant of business interruption type um, policies. And so that pathogen sentiment index from Metabiota uh, has a set of interesting parametric type um, applications. So that's one example. Another similar thing, a, a business called Springboard um, does something similar. They use retail footfall measures to trigger similar kind of response mechanisms um, for loss events in that cat space. So those are those are a couple of things that we're seeing under that big idea. Mm. Um, shall I can, I, can I share one or two things under this under this kind of unexplored? Um, yeah, uh, please do. And, and one particular area that um, comes to mind, at least when I've been talking about cold spots in the past is a, a, an easy answer to why there are cold spots in these in particular areas is that there's legitimate reasons for not innovating here. Mm. And I'm just wondering, whether you think that holds true for the entirety of the results here or whether some of these are more along the lines of opportunity for any yeah. insurer willing to search harder here. Yeah. Um, so th this concept of cold spots is an interesting one. So when we're looking at, if like, this is the opposite of the, the, the big ideas, mm. the term big ideas. So what we're looking for here is not what is everyone else doing, but rather what is no one doing that might be interesting to do. Right, so what is the the untapped opportunity? What is the the the, the opportunity for first mover advantage that um, that is sitting there waiting for someone to have a go? And um, when we crunch our data set, we we look at it in a number of different dimensions. And one of the things we do is to plot it into a, a set of different heat maps. And on those heat maps, we see some some hot spots, and, th and those are clearly where there's a lot of innovation happening. Um, I'll give you a quick example in health insurance. There's a, a huge amount of innovation going on in added value services, um, which is generally the um, the connection of the health policy to some kind of digital healthcare uh, mechanism or health tech mechanism. Um, but across those kind of heat maps, there are a lot of quite blank spots. Um, I'll give you one example: um, life, life insurance, product and proposition. Very, very little going on there. Um, it's, uh, it's something that we've observed for a couple of years. Um, it's, I feel like it's, it's relatively um, unsurprising because uh, in life we're dealing with 
20, 30, 40 year policy lifespans. And so the, the, the risk attached with making a fundamental change to product or proposition is meaningful. And so people tend to shy away from innovating the fundamental product within life. But, but I think the, the reason why we, we would look at that as a cold spot and say, guys, there's, there's some value in creating life 2.0 as a product is because when we look at personal PNC, commercial PNC, specialty, reinsurance, Lloyds of London, these are all areas of the market which are innovating heavily in product and proposition. Um, now, they don't have that same uh, timeline and constraint, but there must be ways, and, and there are one or two kind of uh, beginnings of thought processes that we're starting to see and that we're starting to have ourselves around how we could actually break that risk barrier down within life to enable it to be innovated more fluently uh, and with greater um, regularity. Um, so that's that's one area of significant, um, uh, where there's a significant gap. I would say if I pick one or two others, if I look at um, the, the, the type of innovation around brand and marketing, um, that's an area which gets very little innovation at all, actually. Um, and um, within the, the intermediated uh, categories, so particularly commercial PNC uh, and life and, and specialty, um, we would suggest actually that for each of those businesses who are all looking to get closer to their customer, one of the best ways of doing that is going to be to innovate around the brand and marketing to some degree in distribution as well, but um, there's stuff that can be done in a, in a low tech or zero tech way. Um, therefore, low complexity and relatively low cost that's going to actually uh, improve their chances of getting cut through. Um, so those are a, a couple of examples there. Just pulled a little bit at random for you, Dan, around um, some of those cold spots. Cool. It's, it's fascinating stuff, Dan. And before we get into this topic of big bets for 2021 and onwards, um, just thinking about the um, top 10 ideas for 2021 and these cold spots, um, I'm just wondering if you could give a perspective on what, would, what does this mean for insurance innovators if you were working within innovation and insurance? How, how do you take this kind of information and then what do you do with it? Mm, okay. So I think um, I would... So as I said earlier, this report and the data set that goes with it is designed as a tool to serve this audience. Um, so the first suggestion to anyone considering using the Idea Pulse or who, who, who has uh, an access to it already would be to, to use it with humility, right? Um, fundamentally, as innovators, we should be approaching our plans assuming that they are wrong. Assuming that right, we, we have got it wrong, we don't know everything, we don't know what the market's going to want, and therefore um, we need to test our thinking. One of the best ways of testing the thinking is to expand our horizons and to look at a much larger data set, look at what others are doing, and, uh, and learn from that. So that would be the first thought. Mm -hmm. um, second thought would be that... Um, uh, I, I would, uh, and, and what we recommend and what we do with our clients on this is we take the, the, the heat maps from the Idea Pulse, we take what we call our 10 types of insurance innovation, which is a taxonomy for categorizing these innovations. And we use them to, to review the existing portfolio of innovation and change activity. So that would be a, if you like, stay humble, but then 
review your own portfolio in that humility using the tools and the taxonomy and so on within the idea pulse. Then I would look at the, the, the big ideas, the big ideas from this last year, those 10 big ideas. And we would suggest that these are table stakes. Uh, if you're not playing in these uh, across all 10 spaces, then you need a, a reasonably good reason for not doing so. So uh, a good reason, for instance, would be we're, we're a, a health insurer and we're not playing in that uh, cat uh, cat risk management space because that's just not what we we do. That's 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 a valid reason, but many of the other ten big ideas are going to be relevant for many insurers. So I would consider those table stakes. That would be the third thing. The fourth suggestion would be to look at these untapped opportunities, the cold spots. These are upside opportunities. These are a chance to seize competitive advantage and, and get out there first with something. Um, and then fifth and, and last suggestion would be uh, to look at the big bets, which I think we'll, we'll come on to, Dan. Um, and these are big bets for next year. And to look at these and just pick one or two of these um, and consider whether they merit a place in your portfolio planning for next year. Yeah. So in terms of application, a wide range of things from, from benchmarking to strategic planning, um, portfolio planning, and then just personally as well, an application that I find um, quite useful for some of the data behind this is just the ability to conduct competitive research super quickly. So you mentioned this as well, but um, in my project work, the ability to uh, interrogate an idea that I could be working on with a client and then just go into the data set of a thousand plus innovations now, and then just do a quick search for who else is doing this and what they're doing it and where they're doing it. And mm. the ability to just conduct that analysis in five minutes is, is, is a super handy one. Mm. And I think that works as a good segue into the big bets now. So things that um, I know are think ideas that have been growing subtly through the industry, but the momentum, um, our perspective is, is, is that it seemed to be increasing. And I know that you mentioned at the start that the reason for some of this might be influenced in part by the reality of COVID-19, the economic and... Um, otherwise um, prompts for that but a question I wanted to ask you on this Dan is um, what would be some of your like highlights of big bets for 2021? Yeah um, good so the, the, these big bets these are um, just to introduce them these are where we would place our bets as 90 if we were an insurance business right so these are things that we see happening in the market, that we see becoming big, that we see getting meaningful traction next year. Um, and these are the things that we would be putting our money into. Um, so uh, let, let me just mention a couple in passing and then just spend a little bit of time on, on one of them. Uh, in the report, we, we spell out five big bets. And um, one of them is around intangibles. Just the, the the fun, you know. The, some of your listeners will be very familiar with the space of intangibles, but this is the um, the concept that the vast majority of the Fortune 500's corporate value is actually in completely intangible assets: brand, reputation, IP, for instance, um, and the the insuring of those assets uh, has is not is a problem that has largely not yet been cracked. Um, and yet we're, um, we, we spend a lot of time building products to ensure physical assets and buildings and, and human assets and staff. Um, but we don't do very much to ensure 
the, the vast majority of these corporates value. So that's, that's, that's one of them. Uh, another one quickly in passing would be public-private risk partnerships. Um, so this is insurers working with governments and central banks, um, particularly around the kind of black swan event, black swan type event that we've seen with the pandemic, um, to work out a, a, a sensible way of creating backstop arrangements for these, these larger um, you know, sort of pan-society type uh, risk events. Um, and then the one that perhaps I can give you a little bit more uh, by way of examples on would be um, ESG. Um, so one of our big bets for next year is ESG risks and sustainable insurance. So um, we believe fundamentally from everything we're seeing that sustainability and insurance with a social purpose will be one of the big bets in 2021. Um, we're already seeing this happening. Um, so the, 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 the stark um, realization really is helped by the fact that up until, what are we, no, back end of November uh, 2020, as we record this then, until about April or May this year, we had never had an insurer come to us and brief us to uh, help them develop an idea in the climate change space, the sustainability space, or the ESG space. And since about April or May this year, um, something in the region of 40% of our total workbench has been of this type. There's been this sudden acceleration um, of, uh, of activity in this space. And we've been working with um, Swiss Re, with Zurich, with Liberty Mutual and others on these kind of, um, uh, of, of activities. And so we just, uh, and speaking to the market and looking at what's going on more broadly, uh, this is an area of very significant acceleration. Um, so I can just, if I just call out one or two other examples here, Dan, um, from this space, um, this, this kind of macro idea or big bet can be deployed in a whole range of ways. All right, it can be done at, at a kind of values-based level. Um, and what one insurer that we admire for this is SCORE, or reinsurer, I should say, SCORE's global life business, whose leadership drives a very, very strong purpose-driven culture. Um, in, in how it operates. Um, you can deliver this as uh, added value services, so non-risk transfer type work. Uh, and a good example of that is Zurich, whose risk engineering function uh, had been used to address climate change risk within the business and who then turned that into an externally um, available fee earning service uh, to their corporate clients in particular. Um, you can obviously do this at a kind of uh, personal lines PNC level. Um, good example here would be Ping An over in China, who claim to have over 500 separate sustainable insurance products in the PNC category and a whole other bunch in the in the life space. Um, and they're doing things like um, environmental liability, wildlife protection insurance, food safety insurance, and so on. Um, and then you can also go full, uh, full ecosystem uh, under this big bet. And a good example of that would be AXA, um, whose uh, Excel business worked with the Gates Foundation, Gavi, who do the kind of global vaccine distribution, um, an IoT business called Parcel, um, and two or three other organizations to develop a, uh, a solution, an insurance-backed solution 
to extend what's known as the cold chain, so the, 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 the temperature controlled logistics uh, supply chain to um, the, the, the most remote clinics in, take Africa as an example, for vaccine distribution. And um, so a, a phenomenal uh, innovation which um, has now launched as, a, as, a, as its own Lloyds of London syndicate. Um, and that is, uh, we would imagine, going to be part of, of uh, supporting the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine over the coming weeks and months. Um, that particular one was an innovation we were uh, honored to have played a part in helping catalyze. So these are just a, just a handful of examples of um, how big insurers and reinsurers around the world are, are addressing this, this ESG and climate change and sustainability challenge. Um, but we see this being an area of, of very significant activity in 2021. Absolutely, it, it, it's it's a fascinating topic and one that um, really we feel that is one that is kind of duty bound by insurers to be active in. If we think about the origin of insurance and the purpose of it in the first place, uh, it, it makes sense that this is something that should always be a big bet. Um, and if you're more, if you're interested in um, hearing a bit more about this topic um, on a previous episode, there's a there's a whole episode when I'm talking to. Nick Reed, who's an engagement lead at Nighty, who has delivered the majority of the projects that Dan just mentioned here. So certainly check that out if this is an area of interest. Um, but Dan, a, a final area which I do want to cover before we wrap for this is around any particular um, stories or use cases that you've found to be pretty powerful examples of the use of the idea pools. So mm -hmm. any particular examples that you've had of using this with clients or partners um, mm -hmm. what that involved what the need was and what the outcome was there yeah sure um, so I'll give you uh, I don't know, let's, let's pick two or three examples of, of insurers who are using this as a tool in a number of different ways so um, uh, we're doing some work with Cigna at the moment and uh, over in Singapore and um, they needed some uh, they needed a market view very quickly to support some ideation work on a particular topic. Um, I, I can't mention specifically what, but a, a topic that we were working um, with them on. Um, so very simple application. You referred to it earlier, five minutes, dive into the data set, search for a few keywords, a few key themes, and right out, out, out we get a, uh, a significant number of examples of other insurers around the world doing similar things, um, as well as Interestingly, the names of any partners, tech partners, or um, in this case, digital kind of health tech type partners that they may be using. So that's one use case. Another use case um, would be Sompo, Japanese insurer who um, are using this data set within their scouting function to help them select the ideas that they may then want to go and seek partnerships around. Um, so they're using this as, as market intel effectively to help them select the ideas to, to back. They're also uh, finding, um, I think, use in the fact that the Idea Pulse does call out the partnerships and name the partners behind these so they can just very quickly go straight to um, interesting partners. And then the final example would be Fairfax Group, uh, Fairfax Financial, so Canadian 40-ish billion dollar um, consortium of insurance businesses and they're using this from this from the, the, the kind of global center to review 
the innovation portfolios of each of their markets. And within the Idea Pulse, there is a set of uh, self-assessment tools, which they are using across their markets to get a, a, a if you like, a, a, a combined view um, of what innovation is going on across the group, whether they are indeed um, putting enough focus on the, the, the big ideas, whether they are uh, being strategic about where to allocate some of those big bets across their group of businesses around the world uh, for next year. So those would be three examples. It's good, and it covers quite a broad range of different applications here. Just to recap what I heard there, the first one you were talking about, the use of this as a, essentially a shortcut for competitor insights for strategic planning. So the ability to just quickly look at a data set, produce results that you can then use and implement. Um, additionally, the idea of using this for scouting for partnerships. Um, yes, all, all the data um, uh, contains the uh, partly used within specific innovations. So a quick look up for that. And additionally, this idea of portfolio planning as well compared to the rest of the industry in your specific region. Mm. Some, some powerful um, applications there. So this is uh, probably a good point to go into talking about um, how you can go and check some of this stuff out for yourself if this is interesting um, for you. So if any of those applications sound like ones that could be useful, um, please feel free to head to demos.90.com and there you'll be able to book in a private 15 minute session with one of our research team where they'll be able to walk you through the contents of the reports, show you the data, uh, the categorization, the analysis that goes on behind that and just give you more of a sense of what this looks like and how it could be applied to you and your organization. Um, I believe as well, Dan, that there's a discount code on the 90 website um, that is Pulse in capital letters 30, Pulse 30, that I think is applicable for another two or three more weeks if you were wanting to purchase this report. Um, but whilst I've got you here, Dan, a final question that I did want to ask you was from the, the many times that you've presented this report and that you've um, gone through sessions with clients where you've been using this data, what would be some of the or the most surprising or controversial um, nugget of information that you've um, presented from the findings of this so far? Mm. So I think for, for me, that would probably be the change that we have seen year on year in what we call our leaderboard. So the leaderboard is, if you like, we're trying to drive a little bit of friendly competition here between different categories of insurance. So personal PNC, commercial PNC, specialty, Lloyd's, reinsurance, life and health. And um, what's, uh, what's really surprised me for sure is that specialty, if like the, the bundle of specialty Lloyd's of London syndicates and reinsurers, that kind of, that, that batch of, of insurance types, um, doubled the rate at which they were innovating year on year. So we measure what we call innovation intensity, which is a measure of how much innovation is going on within a particular category or space. And that doubled and that's moved from somewhere back in the pack to the front of the pack. And so if you like, um, from you know, just, just two or three years ago, I would, have, I would never have put Lloyd's at Lloyd's of London anywhere near the front of the pack on, on, uh, from an innovation perspective. They're innovating now or the, or the insurers within it we're innovating with a fluency. It's also driven quite heavily by the reinsurers 
who are innovating uh, at a rate and with a, an investment level which significantly outstrips primary carriers. Um, and uh, yeah, the specialty carrier is just, just doing so much in commercial PNC at the moment. It's one of the most fun spaces to be innovating right now, I believe. So yeah, that was a surprise. Um, doesn't mean, by the way, I should, I should clarify, doesn't mean that all of that innovation is worthwhile and value adding. It just means that they're, they're doing a lot more. Uh, and that's good. It's, uh, they, they had some catch up to, to do and it's good to see them in that catch up mode. Excellent. And I think that final thought, um, that, that could serve as a topic for several more podcasts, but in terms of um, having to stick to our time here, I think that'll have to, for the time being, be a, a thought-provoking um, nugget for a wrap-up there. Hmm. So um, all that leaves, Dan, is for me to thank you for, for joining me and, and talking about this topic today. It's a pleasure. Good stuff. So um, thank you, Dan, and uh, for the listeners, for, for more specialist insurance innovation content, if you found this useful and are looking for some more information on this that you can use, um, there's a load of tools and events that you can find on our website, which is 90.com, or of course, get in touch with us at contact at 90.com. And thank you for joining us today, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.